2: Welcome to Commune. For you regular listeners, you may have noticed that I am not your usual sonorous host, Jeff Krasnow. I'm Jake Laub, a fellow Commune co-founder, and Jeff is taking a break from recording for a week, um, but he will be back quite soon. In the meantime, today I have the pleasure of introducing an interview Jeff did with mediator and communication coach, John Kenyon. Nonviolent communication or empathic communication, as it's also called, was developed by Marshall Rosenberg as a way to avoid falling into patterns of judging, bullying, blaming, or being defensive and instead use communication to find a way to understand and meet everyone's needs. To quote Marshall, peace requires something far more difficult than revenge or merely turning the other cheek. It requires empathizing with the fears and unmet needs that provide the impetus for people to attack each other. In this episode, Jeff and John apply this technique to current events and explore how to use language that heals rather than divides. I know for me, empathic communication has become an important part of my life and my relationships. So I hope you find some wisdom in here to brighten your day. Welcome to Commune.
0: Right. John Kenyon, what a treat. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you. Yeah, so we have uh, the genesis of our growing relationship is an interesting one. I think we're naturally attracted to each other's mission. Mm. I've been engaging in a lot of conversations with folks like Charles Eisenstein and involved in initiatives of trying to get people more engaged in conversation, for example, across the political divide. And he reached out to me at one point and um, very generously offered to engage with me in some of those conversations because, to be quite candid, you are an expert in fostering uh, these conversations, which I have started now to understand is empathic conversation or empathic Mm -hmm. communication that are girded in various traditions, but one being nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. And we've started to have what I would consider some very constructive and profitable conversations. So I'm, um, I'm grateful for, for your generosity. And, uh, you know, maybe just to scaffold the conversation a little bit, you could, just broadly define how you understand empathic communication, and and why it's so important.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the term I like to use. Um, empathic communication, as as you as you mentioned, my my background is in a particular body of work called nonviolent communication, NVC, is the acronym a lot of people know it by, and it, the the creator of it, Marshall Rosenberg, spent Decades, like over four decades, I believe, traveling the world, literally almost nonstop, just tremendous. One of these human beings that I find is just sort of off the charts, kind of giving to humanity, and a, and a, and just a, a a charisma and a ability to share this that was just sort of mind blowing to me. And there, I'm I'm one of I think close to a thousand getting up there towards a thousand certified trainers of that work, and there are many other people sharing it in all kinds of ways. So just to give a little context of kind of my background, but then I like to refer to the work more generally as empathic communication. So I like to think of the evolution of kind of going from body language, like, you know, dogs and sounds and body, right. To, to images and pictures of language, of communication. And, and then to words and And humans were so steeped in the word language, this through the, you know, written and verbal, and we're just inundated and it's uh it just it's so automatic and so deep in our in our psyches, this use of language, but that language really does have this ability to either take us into a world where or keep us and bring us back to a world of more connection and warmth and kindness and care that, you know, or language that really takes us to the opposite place of, of suffering, of violence, of domination, oppression, cruelty, you know, dehumanization, all that. I believe happens really through through this these words that we use and the structure of those words and of conversation and how we relate in and a kind of form that language takes and we have choice but we don't really often know that we have that choice and so it can be so powerful to have some insight around these these two kind of worlds we can inhabit and and how to get there through language.
0: Yeah, thank you for that framing. You know, I have, in, as I wade into the shallow end of, of nonviolent communication, I have started to understand it as uh, my ability to bring mindfulness into conversation. Yes. And uh, mindfulness is something that I'm more comfortable with. Um, just the mental state that can be achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment without judgment, Um, the ability to calmly acknowledge and accept feelings and thoughts and and sensations with some degree of of equanimity. And to you to then bring that mental state or that state of being uh, into a verbal context. Exactly. Um, and it's often it's hard to remember everything mechanistically and process wise that is occurring prior to consciousness as it mm-hmm. pertains to language. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this gets, you know, this could get into a conversation about free will and all sorts of other right. directions, but. Uh, what I have found is that you know humans um, are 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 trained such that they that they begin to have entrenched forms of reflexive behavior, mm-hmm. um, word usage, for example, that is almost developed prior to our conscious awareness of those words. Yes, and I think you know. Obviously, if you develop a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice, you can begin to see how your reflexive behavior changes over time. Mm-hmm. And I have found that this could also be true with words. Um, certainly, when I am in a in a in a place where I am practicing my meditation uh regularly and i seem to be inhabiting an effusive state of being that Mm. tends to be more compassionate and loving and forgiving um i also tend to be using words that seem to be forging a greater level of connection yes um but i don't have any training (laughs) as to (laughs) you know, what that is or what words, you know, that I happened, that I happened just to be using that seem to be more connective. Um, I suppose, you know, potentially my ability to listen is enhanced. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about that of like, of there, is there what is that balance between word usage and structures and fundamentals to empathic communication through words?
2: Mm -hmm. And then
0: what is the relationship between the usage of of words and active listening or listening to understand versus listening to respond?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot there in the question. Yeah. So the first thing that came to me as you were just speaking was the um, the way that I mean, and you said that 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 language can be a meditation, and I I don't really hear many, even in my tradition of, of of NBC talking about it in the way I'm about to say. But and I think you you almost just said it there that when we're we can pay attention to sort of the moment to moment arising of words, just. It almost looked like you were doing that right now as you were speaking. And, and we, you know, we can do that as we're talking to each other. I can be really aware of these words that are sort of appearing to me and you at the same time and, and, and listening to you that way. And I find, I, I don't know if this is scientifically true. I imagine that as we pay attention that way, just like we'd meditate on anything, the brain waves sort of shift. You get into more of what is it a Delta or something brainwave activity that that's different And then, then the words and the feelings and all start coming from a different place. So just even by bringing a kind of meditative awareness to the moment to moment speaking or listening, that kind of changes consciousness a bit, right? So that's a practice I try to do. It's hard to remember to do, you know, because it's something you can literally do almost every moment of the, the day or night because if we're not doing it out loud, our inner voice is almost constantly going and we can be kind of paying attention to that mindfully. Um, so the other thing I'll say, though, is what as you asked the question, I thought of Marshall uh, Rosenberg again and how he w- he looked around at part of his developing of the process was looking at how people who seem to be able to stay very compassionate and in, in difficult situations like how do they do that? You know, there was like, what, what seemed to lead people to be violent in word or action with each other? And what seemed to enable people to not be violent, even when you would think they would be in situations that were incredibly difficult, challenging, even violent, being in very violent situations, but not responding with violence. You know, how did they do that? Who were, and then he, so he started, he, through that and a lot of other things, he kind of put together, um, at the core of the work are these four components of communication, and you know there's a lot sort of built up around that. But it's, I think of it as the DNA. I mean, if you, it's the most kind of uh, cellular level of, of empathic communication. I like to think there's sort of universal, um, even though I, I mostly experience it in, in the NBC body of work. Uh, these these four components: observation, feeling, need, request.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about that framework and, and potentially overlay it on, onto some specific example. Yeah. But, but I just want to bracket something for, for a moment, which is that on the surface, nonviolent communication uh, can give the impression of, of sort of limpness, that mm-hmm. you're compromising, you're, you're, you're not standing up for what you believe, et cetera. But on the contrary, um, it it can also very much fortify and and gird some of your beliefs. And it's also can be a very um, uh, strategic method to essentially get what you want, Mm. Um, uh, you know, versus trying to hammer your opinion onto someone else's belief system um mm-hmm. with the hopes of changing their mind which seems mm-hmm. uh not to be a particularly profitable project so maybe just i, I want to get into that framework but yeah. maybe you could just describe some of the benefits of this of empathic uh communication both i guess more you know globally but also you know personally
1: yeah well, I, I really just like mindfulness is becoming more and more recognized as part of human health and wellness. And uh, I think this way of communicating, not not just the NBC approach to it, but just the more general sense of, of how to the, the, an understanding of how to communicate empathically and what sort of structures support that um, is just is just part of wellness, well-being. And, and being able to have a, a community of support for that. So being in conversation with others and being able to go to those deeper places in conversation is just so nourishing. And, and, um, I, yeah, I think of it as like eating really healthy food. Like when we're in conversation, that's very, that there's a, an empathic kind of container for it. And this sense of using language that really takes us to some depth of connection and it's just so fulfilling and satisfying and, and just like feeds the soul kind of. So that's one way I would, I would talk about it. Um, you know, in terms of maybe you were referencing, maybe where we get in conflict with people or we want to convince people of things where we disagree and, and you and I have had conversations about the political situations around, you know, political, social conversations and all the differences and divides that that are happening there. And so, yeah, that, that, this, this way of, of focusing on connection, empathic connection, and then out of that, the, the focus on uh, what Marshall called compassionate giving and receiving so that it's not about trying to get someone to agree with us or, or make somebody do something. You know, often in, in, in the traditional way, we most of us learn to communicate through judgments and demands, through making someone wrong or bad. And then hoping that's going to, through the guilt and shame, then they'll do something or, or, or making demands. If you don't do this, then I'll punish you or, you know, make you feel terrible or something. So that, I think we don't even realize how often we slip into that judging and demanding kind of, you know, way of relating to ourselves too, not just other people, right? We probably even do it more to ourselves than others, at least a lot of us. So, um, this is yeah there's a whole nother way we can relate that's really about um, an invitation to enjoy contributing to each other's well-being and that was so much what when I first met Marshall Rosenberg like everything in my being just like i remember like when i first heard him speaking and it, everything like kind of stopped my brain stopped everything and i just was like i think my mouth sort of dropped open and i was like oh my god like this is this is so powerful Because it's about connecting in a way where we can enjoy giving and not trying to force each other to do things or convince or coerce. So yeah, and how powerful that can be, which you were kind of referencing, if we try to sort of push on people, often they push back, right? And we see that politically. If you try to tell someone their beliefs are wrong, right, they double down on that usually. Um, But if it's more just trying to understand and hear each other and empathize with each other. And not give up our own reality, right? So that's not about just saying I'm gonna cave into everybody else. No, I'm gonna stay strong in what I believe and you know what reality is for me, but can I hear your reality also without losing my own? And then out of that, can we get to a place of of somehow give enjoying giving to each other? Support, you know, inviting a supporting of one another's well-being. And that really is, and that could be so powerful. All the defenses can kind of drop away. And then we're starting to relate in that more compassionate way, even with people we totally disagree with and might normally be kind of adversarial. But this gives a shift to that dynamic just by through these components and this sort of way of focusing on speaking and listening in a more empathic way that it tends to just open up possibilities for people just wanting to give to us and us to them when normally we might not. So does that bring up any questions?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I think, you know, for for me, I'll just use myself as a guinea pig. um, That idea of observation versus judgment, Mm. that delineation there um, is one that I have to Pay very specific attention to because mm-hmm. it is uh i think very uh, it, I'm very quick like I think many people are to judge instead of observe yeah. um, and so I, I wonder if you could maybe just gird that in a specific example, use language to sort of actually uh delineate what judgment versus observation might look
1: like, so if we take an example, let's take an example. I was thinking of uh the recent sort of impeachment trial in the Senate and the number of of senators that voted to not uh, say that president Trump was guilty of that, and that was something I thought of as a kind of we go for just what are the observations versus evalu- or judgments of that so. Depending on, you know, one's political viewpoint, right? Either that was maybe the judgment is like, wow, what a what a great thing, you know, this Republicans standing up and supporting him and or that that was uh you know, just a, a terrible thing that they didn't uh convict him of that. And uh that uh I I heard uh yeah, so in terms of an observation, I, I heard a a quote from Lindsey Graham saying that he thought that, you know, president Trump was the hope for the Republican party and it's important to, to support him. And so I just, just the observation of, of what I heard him say and the, you know, what senators voted in what way. And, um, so there's just observing what happened, like that's what happened, you know? And, um, then the judgments could be that they, they, uh, depending again on what political perspective one has, but say from a liberal perspective, yeah, that was, that was, uh, uh, a, a travesty. They should have, you know, he clearly, uh, incited violence and that, that, uh, they were, uh, fearful and cowardly and they should have, you know, stood up and, for what was right and how could they be so craven and, uh, right. All this rhetoric, right. That we the judgments that we hear from the left, you know, and it's similar on the right, but in, you know, in the opposite way, all these judgments and to be able to then shift back to just what happened, what, 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 just what occurred. So this, there was the vote and they voted in this way, the different senators said different things about it that's what happened. Yeah. And, and in terms of what happened with the insurrection and on that day, we can just describe the events that occurred. And, um, and then, then there's all the ways that we, that we judge, whether it's right or wrong, depending on one's perspective. So let me just stop there and just see if you want to, you know, kind of add anything or, or ask anything further about, about that distinction.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. Well, for example, I've just started to learn a little bit more about stoicism and one of the central tenets of stoicism is that we tend to react to our judgments of a particular event um which then trigger certain emotions instead of the event itself. Yeah. So, um so I certainly have judgments about the particular event, but as I just try to go and define the event itself, yes. Um, without overlaying any form of like political affiliation or on that, I start from a, what I would say is a neutral place of the, of the facts of the event itself. yeah, And what, I have tried to do in my work is then really excavate the why um, and really try to understand how and why the events occurred without uh, immediately slapping a judgment on top of it. And that can be, to be honest, an incredibly arduous process, because yeah. as you really become sort of disciplined in your curiosity, um, there's always, not always, but there's often another layer of the onion to pull back. hmm Hello, it's British Jeff, and if you're a regular listener to this show, then you know how seriously I take health and happiness. However, perhaps like you, I can often put me health and happiness at the bottom of me own list. Well, fortunately, now I have a new partner that makes it simultaneously easy and delicious for me to invest in myself. FX Chocolate is a new supplement company that profoundly cares about health and happiness and they've created seven different supplement variations each one lending targeted support to a specific need nutraceutical ingredients like ashwagandha reishi mushrooms phytocannabinoids gaba l-theanine ana-O-E, and melatonin are expertly packed into a handcrafted square of delectable keto-friendly dark chocolate these chocolates are Delicious and I have to fend off me bloody teenage children from pilfering them. But of course, I do understand their peskiness as eating chocolate is a pretty bloody enjoyable way to take supplements. So, I suggest you check them out. Now, it's true that this past year has been one of the most arduous in our collective history. It's a small but mighty gift to know that taking care of our bodies and getting the nutrients we need doesn't have to be a drag so in that context fx chocolate is offering the commune podcast listeners 20% off their first order use the promo code commune 20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order at fxchocolate.com you can have your chocolate and you can eat it too so use promo code commune 20 at checkout at fxchocolate.com so when i examined um what happened the Mm -hmm. 43 senators Mm -hmm. that voted to acquit Mm -hmm. and i tried to really understand the reasons that they made that decision um I think one of those reasons is fear. And many of these senators are living in states where the former president is very, very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are scared of losing their jobs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so that is one reason that, you know, former President Trump may. Come out forcefully against these people and they will lose their primaries and they mm-hmm. will lose their position of power and potentially their livelihood although many of them could probably find gainful employment somewhere else but still they probably actually have a lot of ego and self-worth and identity yes um, packed up in their leadership role they've probably devoted most of their life, uh, which has required a tremendous amount of dedication and hard work mm. to get to that place. And they are incredibly fearful that if they were to vote in a way, um, well, to convict the president, that they might um, foreclose their ability <laughs> yeah. to get reelected or remain. You know, in this position, in this exalted position that they've worked their whole life to attain. Yes. So, on one level, that's very, very personal. And I can yes. understand, on some level, you know, all of the hours and time sunk into getting yourself as a human being <laughs> to a place where you can make a difference in the world. Yes. And then mortgaging that over a vote that you might not even think is that consequential because this man is no longer the president. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is a very, you know, there's a very personal component to that. Um, I think then as I peel back the next layer of like, well, why is, the president the former president so powerful as to be able to have such influence over so many people in so many of these states that would then cause these senators to be potentially fearful about losing this job that they've worked their entire life to Mm. obtain (laughs) so as i said this is like a very sort of laborious process but but that there are people in many of these states that feel some sense of greater agency that feel some sense of empowerment um, that has been provided to them by the former president Mm
1: -hmm.
0: now we may question how he did that and the measures and the dog whistles and Mm -hmm. all of the different um techniques that he used to, to generate this fealty. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that there are a lot of people in many of these states that these 43 senators represent that have felt a sense of great empowerment over the last four years by having someone who they feel champions their interests.
1: Yeah.
0: So, (laughs) peel back another (laughs) layer. Many of those people felt as if the election was stolen and rigged and that there were fraudulent votes counted um, to the detriment of the former president. Mm. Now, then why does that? exist? Why is that sentiment so prevalent? And this is where, you know, it becomes complicated and intertwined with misinformation and Mm -hmm. social media and Mm -hmm. algorithms and COVID and isolation and aloneness and a search for community. And I know that those are a lot of things that are interacting with each other.
1: Well, those are a lot of needs, human needs, which is one of the four components of what motivates all of us and different strategies. That's kind of the key distinction in the NVC world. The different needs we all share, and then different but strategies that different people use, different beliefs and strategies. So yeah, you're kind of laying out these as you peel the onion, different kinds of feelings and needs and strategies. And you're 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 saying it in a pretty observational way, just kind of observing what you understand from your perspective, what you see and what you understand. So yeah, carry on.
0: Yeah, so I think that in the wake of COVID, um, obviously many people have been experiencing a a greater sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. They don't have as much in real life community. And by extension, much of our community has migrated to platforms like social media and Twitter.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: there is an increasing distrust in what is kind of often referred to as mainstream media. Yeah. So people are also within seeking community on these platforms, but also um, getting their information and their news From these platforms and obviously you know a lot of none of these platforms really have any journalistic codes of ethics or anything Mm. and within these platforms the former president was obviously incredibly influential he had 90 million followers on twitter 35 million followers on facebook and you know for various reasons that i will try not to judge uh, (laughs) um you know the president was distributing information that the vote was rigged that the election had been stolen and in people's sort of while people are really seeking out information through his channels and also the community that is built around that information mm-hmm. um, this agency that people had been given has was now, being ripped away fraudulently. Mm -hmm. And um, so, (laughs) so there was a tremendous amount of anger that then was brewing and built up and pent up and growing and growing and growing. And, uh, and obviously that came to an inflection point on, january 6th when we saw you know the insurrection the siege of the capital um which was really just an in real life reflection of a lot of you know this anger Mm -hmm. that had been fomenting uh on social media now Mm -hmm. of course my judgment would be that unfortunately the dissemination of this information in a weaponized way radicalized People to the point that they were essentially willing—that a small group of them were willing to go and try to overthrow the government and Mm -hmm. hang Mike Mm -hmm. Pence—and and and, you know I believe that was at the incitement um, of the president, but that wasn't really the question that you posed at the beginning, the question Mm. was really, you know, what is the emotion or the judgment that we might have um, against these 43 senators that had Mm. voted to acquit? And so Mm. as I kind of peel back all of those layers, Mm. I look at basically there are people in these states that had agency that felt Mm. that that agency was ripped away unlawfully and fraudulently And these are the representatives of those people. And that is, to me, why they voted the way they did. That doesn't make it right or good or, you know, based in fact or anything, but it does give me sort of a clear understanding for the position that many of those people found themselves in. Now, that could be judged as spineless and cowardly and all sorts of things that people might layer on that. Yeah. But but I've tried to at least understand it for what it is.
1: Yeah. So what I just heard you do is is use quite a bit of you know, use observation language to just describe kind of from your perspective how what you've observed and, and and trying to understand how those different layers of people, you know, the senators, the the citizens that that uh, supported uh, President Trump, even President, ex President Trump himself, uh, maybe a little bit of of, of kind of understanding what you know, what was what was going on there. So, the the way that you kind of describe that, and then it, it, empathically, what I heard you doing is is again relating to trying to understand, even if you know just to connect with on these different levels. The people in these different positions, what they might've been observing, like what were they observing on their social media feeds and the messaging from, uh, uh, president Trump at the time and other, other Republican leaders, right. And, and, uh, QAnon leaders and right. Yeah. So getting what, what information they're observing and the, how they're feeling about their circumstances and that you, you talk about agency and, community and belonging and empowerment and, and feeling supported and right. All these different needs that you empathically connected with, right? So I think you were kind of just doing it naturally in a way, but that's what I heard as you were, as you are really trying to kind of mindfully unpack that, that you were using those components in a way to empathize with these, you know, the, the different people that you were referencing, Right. And I don't know, I'm imagining for people listening and I felt it like just the way you did that was, it felt kind of soothing and calming to the nervous system. You weren't, even when you went into some judgment, you, you named it, you kind of, well, here's a judgment or, you know, but you, the way you even talked about your judgments or various judgments was in a more observational kind of language. And I just felt my whole nervous system stayed Calm. I stayed, con- felt connected to myself, to you, and to them even. Like I felt more empathy for all the people you talked about. Instead of having what we call enemy images of them, how awful and bad and how could they do this and da, 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 all these, right? I felt like, oh, there are human beings struggling with all the things you listed, trying to meet their needs, basically. And yeah, we might not agree on how they're. How those needs were getting met uh, on those different levels, but it humanizes them. It's like, oh, they're just like us. If we were in their shoes, maybe we'd probably do the same thing, you know. Like, so it, 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 the, you, that was a beautiful demonstration to me of taking something that's so polarized, so filled with judgment and wrong wrongdoing that we can judge, and finding the human being on on each of those levels that we could relate to, that we can say, oh, that's me. That's me too. Who could feel that way and want these things and feel desperate and feel like, you know, and yeah, maybe we wouldn't take some of those actions, but um, still those, those needs and feelings really humanize us. Now, the thing you didn't really go into yet, which we could do is your, like you did a lot of empathy for them and, and a lot of many people can't quite do that until they've got enough empathy for themselves like their own reactions, their own anger and pain and, you know, seeing this happen. So we could do that to sort of show people like how you not only have empathy for others, but you can have it for yourself, which often needs to come first in order to really give it to other people. If I could kind of maybe uh, coach almost a little bit with you just so people can really get a feel for it. So if you would even just now kind of relive it again and go into your body as that sort of dropping down and kind of feeling that sense of anger and sadness, right? You talked about anger and sadness and probably a lot of different emotions. Those are two salient ones. So sometimes we don't let ourselves just feel that. We just stay up in our head, thinking, judging, Right, So if you would, maybe just allow yourself to just literally drop attention down from the headspace down into your body, to your heart, to your belly, to your whole, and just kind of feel whatever you can feel now about when you think of those events. It's probably a lot less intense now than it was at that time, of course, but even even now, just there's a feeling maybe... A remnant of anger, of sadness, and that we can put that language to it—the language of physical sensation and emotion. All right, we can talk to ourselves and others. are very, very kind of consciously about, oh yeah, what's what's happening in my body right now? Feeling anger, rage, outrage, deep sadness, and grief. Right? And we could notice when those the language gets mixed up with thoughts again. Like we might notice some thoughts coming. Well, I feel like that was just a, a an atrocious. Oh, oh, wait, that's not really a feeling. Oh. and or I would say I I I feel betrayed by you know all these people that that would do that. Right. So again, even though we use the word feel. It's more of a thought that we're following, More, still more of a judgment. We easily kind of get brought back up into that judging, blaming, right, wrong field. So just we can, if we notice it, if we're aware enough, conscious enough, we can just keep coming back to having our attention in the body and putting this language to it that's just what the body is doing, how the body is communicating, right, to keep, so it's like a meditation, just back, right, and then saying to yourself, yeah, so there's a lot of anger there a lot of sadness and then going to the next component of 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 human needs like the idea that we all want the same basic qualities all over the world every person in the world ultimately we share the same universal like what we care about what matters to us what what leads to well-being and thriving so it's kind of implicit in what you said, but if you would just kind of consciously link up these feelings of anger and sadness with what you want and particularly what you want that you imagine every human human being on the planet, even the people who did these things with that some level that we all want. Can you just put some words to that right now, whatever comes to you in this moment?
0: Yeah, certainly, um, safety, safety. Yes. Yes um a serenity I suppose I also want to feel less helpless. Um, I felt very helpless in that moment, unable to sort of influence the course of human events around me. <laughs> there is a it's a frustration that no. I harbor of you know, not being able to kind of effectuate a greater sense of connectedness um, with people around me. So then that starts to feel frustrating. Again, I feel kind of
1: helpless in that situation. I wonder if something about uh, uh, being able to have power and agency that when you witness something like that, you also can like experience those needs yeah. to, to, um, to have safety and agency and a sense of empowerment. And then the frustration, their anger, frustration, helplessness, sadness, which in some ways you were also saying about maybe people very supportive of, Donald Trump, who may be feeling very similar things. Yeah.
0: Yes? Yeah, absolutely. So
1: again, there's that commonality. But let's, let's, let's stay with you. So just often it's kind of an excavation, an archaeology of like yeah. these different feelings and needs and making that connection. We so often say, I feel angry and sad because they did this. And and yes, they did what they did. And what happened happened. And can we link how we feel, how we think and feel to these deeper needs values wants and that's what you're doing so to me that's that starts to shift what's what's possible to experience and how to respond differently so just take is there anything else there about so there's safety agency um empowerment i don't know if, what what maybe keep searching because when we find the right words your body will tell you your body will go ah, oh, that feels good like yes the unconscious says yes you understood me you know the body says, yes, you got it.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose I have tremendous worry. A lot of my worry, I think, gets... I, I shoulder a lot of it on behalf of my children because I worry a tremendous amount about what the future will bring. Yes. Yeah. Um, And I feel a responsibility there that I'm not sure I can fully live up to.
1: See, so there's, you said another emotion, worry. There's worry, there's sort of fear there. That's another emotion. And some thinking about, you know, responsibility, but also what might happen in the future, right? And then just, it's just a little shift to then take that into the, the realm of, of, of these universal needs. So the need for, your children's well-being, you know, for the well-being of all children, for the well-being of future, you know, uh, humans in in our country and beyond, right? That so it's it's taking again what you're thinking and feeling and finding what is it that that those are pointing to in a kind of more universal way, right? So just stay with it, and help find the language that if we just it's a little translation there and with language into when you say those things is it is that did i get it right is it like well-being of your children and children in general is it, stay with that like it's wanting social trust trust in the fabric of society uh, an ability to to be uh to have harmony and connectedness as a society and to trust each other and to work together is it is that basically the needs that you're pointing at
0: absolutely yeah I I think these are very connected to kind of justice and equity. Justice Um,
1: and equity, yes. yes. uh,
0: That I harbor a lot of these worries because I sense that we could go backwards as a human race and undo hundreds and hundreds of years of slow but deliberate progress. Yes. you know where people do have a greater opportunity to to thrive and find a well being. Yeah, um,
1: the needs behind the, the images of what bad stuff could happen, the, yes. the the need to thrive as a society. Yes, yeah, and not, and, and, and continue to progress. And along lines of justice and equality and well being, health and well being for the whole society and, 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 and world.
0: Yeah. I mean, for all of its warts, you know, I do look at the experiment of kind of a liberal democracy and the Enlightenment to be in a huge advancement for hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, kind of despite all of the injustices and inequities that have happened within those parentheses.
2: But if Mm -hmm.
0: I look at like, you know, serfdom and the divine right of Kings and systems and structures that predated this, you know, and I look at like the potential of moving back into sort of, you know, authoritarianism, you know, that is deeply unsettling to me. Um and I know it's a, it seems like kind of very heady and intellectual, but it is grounded in something that is like tremendously emotional. Yes. Um,
1: yes. And uh fear of that happening and the need that what you want to protect right. this, yeah. and the progress and, and well being that you you don't want to lose, and you want to kind of protect that. You want that to be protected and not lost yeah absolutely. absolutely so as you name these needs and, and if you can feel that kind of going to up to the kind of thinking about it and what might happen and kind of there's some judging and judgment and images of that right and then there's back into the worry the fear the sadness and then then connecting once again back into what is it we all want what is the, what what are those qualities that we're longing for and you're you're just continuing to put words to that how do you what do you notice happening inside you as you kind of keep doing that, that, that process together, what's happening for you kind of as you're shifting with that language?
0: You know, there is, I suppose, a relieving of some anxiety as I become more clear about the sources of the emotion (laughs) exactly the
1: source the deeper source not just our thoughts and the the outside events but like a a kind of a deeper source and when we touch into it it, yes there's something very very beautiful we can feel inside with that so yes yeah say more
0: yeah um i think that there is a That that it feels more, yeah. That there is a greater, uh, yeah. Other, I can't really put my finger on. I can't find the words to really describe the feeling, which is, uh, which is, I suppose, somewhat of a rarity for me. <laughs> um, but there is a, a little bit, I guess, just a, a letting go. Mm um and uh
1: like a kind of softening in some way or yeah easing some kind of easing of tension yeah yeah something like that i'm
0: not sure that the the worry is assuaged per se yeah but yeah. the clarity of why it exists is brought into greater relief which yeah the source of it is clearer and just that is enough to bring a level of serenity (laughs) to the equation Yeah.
1: yeah yeah Yeah. So many talk about the difference between pain and suffering, right? Pain is a natural part of life. We, we, we have pleasure and pain and that's, that's the world we live in. That's reality. But that suffering, like the psychological suffering is, is many would say optional, at least potentially optional. So I wonder if in some ways you're saying like the, 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 you know, the fear, the worries there, the sadness, the pain of imagining these things happening has not gone away. That's real. That, these potentials. And yet, because you're connected to this deeper source of these universal human needs, desires, qualities, that there's a, there's a certain kind of, um, of, of Marshall Rosemary called it sweet pain, that, that there's a natural grieving that's part of life. And, and that it's not experienced as something negative, but more just almost healing. And it can be to feel the depths of our pain, but connected to what we really care about. It's different than up in our head judging wrongness, which we usually start with that, but this is some place to take it that often has the kind of feelings you're talking about. And then the last piece is is there a request? So once we kind of get to this really expansive, open, universal kind of embrace that we feel in ourselves and kind of imagining every human being wants these things. Yeah. And then from there, what might be created, what, what kind of creativity and a kind of compassionate response comes out of that clarity of what we want at this level. So if you feel wanting to go there, does anything, often it comes as an image that kind of flickers, but something that comes to you as a request of yourself or somebody else to forward all these needs you've been talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that when I am most clear about many of the sources of my thoughts and feelings and emotions, it tends to buttress a sense of purpose for me Mm -hmm. that I that I continue to find over and over again, which in many ways has been the thread of my entire life, despite Mm -hmm. what strange left and right turns I I may have taken Mm -hmm. off the highway that Mm -hmm. defines it. Um, And I think that is one of community building and conversation fostering that that i find when i come back to this sort of like these things that are true and clear that that purpose becomes elucidated time and time again yeah it's just the same face with a different mask
1: on it like keep 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 doing what you're doing like you're you're doing you're doing some important something like that some reminder to yourself of of uh or or kind of faith or confidence in how you're contributing to these needs already
0: yeah and just a clarity about how i like within the context of of, like a lot of you know Uh junk in my ecosystem like what are the things that i continue to come back to over and over again that feel like the most powerful and resonant Uh uh-huh and, uh, and that always circulates or orbits around connection and community.
1: Connection and community. Yeah. 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 So two other needs there that, that as you're maybe moving towards in, in this moment, any kind of like action that flows from getting to this, doing this hard work, not only of empathizing with others that we disagree with, and we might start off with judging to get to this level, uh, and see what action can, can flow from that. That's very life giving life serving. And so community and connection sound like, even though those are still needs, it's kind of like, you're moving in this direction of like the actions that you tend to take in your life and your work. Now in this moment, does anything, and maybe not, maybe it's just, you know, just sitting with what you've already said, but sometimes there's just like a new little create creative spark of something new when you do this level of work that you've just done you've done a lot of work today and this uh as you said right it's it's hard work in a way it but it can be so fulfilling and but getting to this point does anything new do you kind of see that just again it's often can come as a request like oh yeah what is it that i might ask or what is it being asked of myself that might just kind of pop in or some way that i want to ask somebody else to do something that's pretty specific, like very concrete and something that's new, something that very similar maybe, but some something that's new for this moment of kind of a creative emergence. Hmm. And maybe it's not there, but just to check.
0: Yeah, I, I I think, I'm not sure that it's new, but I think it's sort of a renewed Um vigor if you will to
1: focus on maybe yeah to to
0: really truly understand and to connect i mean like the source of a lot of this i I suppose it's really you know gets back to a lot of the things that you know we have discussed which is really try to connect with the source of my anger personified Mm mm-hmm um, so like
1: towards those difficult conversations and those things that you're, is that what you're saying? Like yeah, that, that yeah. feels really meaningful and contributing to focus on doing more of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just unafraid, being less afraid of the conflict, mm-hmm. of using the conflict as an opportunity to really have this conversation with those who I might normally attribute as the source of my anger.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 That sounds like that there's that there's a kind of yeah, maybe just a reinforcing of that, but some 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 request in you that appears it's like, yeah, keep doing that. Keep doing more of that. Keep focusing on those kind of conversations, how you can support those kind of conversations as a way to contribute to these needs that, that you know apply to the whole world, you know, surviving and thriving.
2: Thank you for listening to the Commune Podcast. If you want to learn more about john kenyon you can visit his website at johnkinyon.com where he teaches a variety of empathic communication courses and if you like what we're doing here on the podcast please leave us a review we'd love to hear what you think i'm jake laub stepping in for your usual host jeff krasnow and even if the only person you talk to today is yourself say nice things wishing you a great week